0: Today, we are uh, continuing with our message in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 23. If you're new to our church, we have been going through a series on 1 Corinthians, uh, from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way up to where we are now, chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, last week, we finished at chapter 3, verse 4. Surprise, surprise. And the big theme so far in the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians has been division. That's the issue here in the Corinthian church. That's what Paul is um, uh, uh, admonishing them about. And uh, just as a refresher, there were people who were saying, you know, I follow Apollos. Apollos is so great. He's such an eloquent guy. And there are others who said, I follow Paul. Paul was the founder of our church. He's the missionary to the Gentiles. He's the man. He's such a theologian there are others who are saying, we, we follow Peter. We follow Cephas, one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. I mean, gosh, you know, how can you not follow Peter? And there are these, there was this division within the Corinthian church. And Paul was saying that that, that is so ridiculous. Um, you're dividing over worldly things. Well, Paulus is so eloquent. He, he, he's a uh, he, he fits in really well with that Greek Hellenistic culture that really valued oratory skill. But Paul, don't speak so good. Kind of uh, weak, not that impressive seeming. And, and they were making decisions in this way. They were valuing things that the world valued. And Paul was saying, as we saw last week, that this is actually stunting their spiritual growth. This is why they were still on milk And not on meat, because they were acting in this carnal, fleshly way. So, Paul picks up um, from that here in in verse five, and we're gonna look at things. We're gonna break it down a few verses at a time this morning. So, uh, verses five through nine, he says, he goes on, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. When Paul starts out here saying, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Uh, it's the, the answer to that question is basically nothing. <laughs> they are nada. Zip, zilch, zero. They are nothing. We can see that in verse 7 when he says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Um, in other words, what are you Corinthians doing with the Team Paul, Team Apollos talk, with all of that? We are nothing. <laughs> God is the only one who is anything and the one who brings about all the growth. Furthermore, this is really, really dumb, Corinthians, because Apollos and I, as well as Cephas or anybody else they might have been thinking about, we are all fellow workers working on the same thing towards the same purpose. We're all just servants of God. We're all just plowing and working in the same field. We're still building up, we're building up the church together as one unified servant body of Christ. So that's why my title for these verses is Division is Dumb. Division is Dumb. The Corinthians would not have approved. It's not a very eloquent title except for maybe the alliteration there. Maybe get a few points for that. But Division is Dumb. Can you imagine? Think about Paul's illustration here. Can you imagine some planters? They're saying, we're planters. We're the best. We carry with us the seeds of life. We till the ground. We dig up the soil. And we take this little seed that has within it the DNA of life. And we plant it in the ground. And we cover it up. And that will one day become the plant. Waterers? The water boys, what are they? What are they good for with their water? Nothing can happen without this plant. So we are the best. They are far inferior to us. That's ridiculous, right? You can plant all you want, but if there is no water, forget plants, there isn't even gonna be germination. Nothing is going to happen. That seed is going to sit there and nothing is going to happen. There will be no plant. There will be no fruit. There will be nothing to eat without water. That is an absolutely ridiculous thing to say. Similarly, the, the waterers cannot say, we are the waterers. We bring H2O, that which, which brings life. Whenever you go search for life on a planet, what do you look for first? Water. Without water, nothing can happen. We are the best. The planters are far inferior. How ridiculous would that be? If there were no planters and no seeds in the ground, what would they be watering? They'd just be creating mud that would produce no crop, no food, no nothing. This is, this is a, a, absolutely, that would be completely Stupid for them to argue in that way, planters versus waterers. And that's what Paul is saying, you guys are doing, Corinthians. When you say, I'm for Apollos, no, 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 I'm for Paul, you're, you're, you're being absolutely stupid because Paul, Apollos, Cephas, we're all working together on one thing. We are all on one team. We are fellow workers working on God's field together all of us unto the glory of God. Not only that, we can't do anything on our own. We're God's servants. And God is the only one who can bring growth. No matter what we plant, no matter how much we water, God is the only one that can bring any growth. Dividing division is dumb. It makes no sense whatsoever. Brothers and sisters, um, this applies very much to us within the church today. Today. I think it's important for us to remember that any division between you and somebody else in the church, it's not just about you and the other person. Any division within two people or groups of people within the church ultimately hurts the cause of Christ. It ultimately hurts the cause of Christ. It's not just about you. It is about something so much bigger than that. I think sometimes we, we can easily think, oh, you know, I got a problem with that person. But you know what? As long as, you know, he stays on that side of the room, I stay on this side of the room, we don't really cross paths. We don't really make eye contact. We don't really show up at the same events. It's okay. It's fine. I can live with that. You know, we're still going to worship on Sunday. Uh, Ulysses is still going to preach the sermon. Got plenty of community groups to go to. He'll go to that one. I go to that one. It's not a big deal. It doesn't affect anybody else. It absolutely affects everybody else. Because any division within the body of Christ hurts the cause of Christ because we are fellow workers. Any of you who've ever been caught up as as a third party in division between people, you know how much that can affect other people. From the the awkwardness when you're around both of them together to the conversations where each person tries to convince you of their side and how they are right and how they have been wronged and the other person was so insensitive and, and was so wrong to do what he or she did and it creates this tension and they're not able to be together or serve together and it affects the church. Imagine when it's not just two people, when it's groups of people, it absolutely affects the work of God. And it undermines it. And Paul says that is dumb because we are all working together on the same team towards the same purpose, the exaltation of the glory of God, building up the church of God. Division is dumb. And not just within our church, But outside of the church as well, we need to understand that other churches, other Bible-believing evangelical churches that exalt the name of Jesus Christ, that love the Word of God, that we are on the same team as them. We're not in the competition. We are fellow workers here in the field of the Bay Area working for the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not competition, and we should pray for them. We should encourage them. God may lead us to potentially support them. And we are to see each other as on the same team because we're all working together for one purpose, the glory of God. Now, so Paul says division is dumb. Let's remember that. Now, he switches here the metaphor from field at the end of verse 9 to building. Okay, uh, And he goes on in the next few verses to talk more about buildings and architecture. Maybe it's because Paul's a city slicker. He grew up in the city. uh, But he's going to switch from agriculture to architecture. Now, if division is dumb, and that's what Paul is saying here, we have to ask the question as well on the other side. What then does unity look like? What does unity look like? Let's look here. Verses 10 through 15. Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. That word skilled there is actually, uh, the root word is sophos like Sophia, wisdom, philosophy, love of wisdom. So Paul's kind of a little dig here at the Corinthians. You think I'm not wise, the Greek Hellenistic standards of this world. No, I'm a wise master builder, actually, in how I'm building the church. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Let's go back here to the top of these verses again. Let me ask that question, go back to that question again. If division is dumb and we are to pursue instead unity, we need to ask the question, what does unity look like? What kind of unity are we to pursue? And brothers and sisters, we need to understand that unity doesn't just mean being together, physically together, although that's important. Unity doesn't just mean not arguing or bickering or gossiping about one another, as important as that is, unity ultimately must be centered around Jesus Christ. It must be centered around Jesus Christ. This is why Paul says in verse 11, "'For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ.'" He is the foundation. Jesus Christ, who lived and died upon a cross for the sins of all those who would believe in him, who was buried in a tomb, but rose again on the third day so that we can also experience resurrection life. This is the Jesus that everything, that unity must be built on. There can be no other foundation except the crucified and risen Lord. You know what I said earlier about how we need to see other churches as being on the same team? Absolutely, that is true. But one of the problems is that so many Protestant churches within America, especially within mainline denominations, have drifted so far from the foundation of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord, as the only way to be forgiven of our sins and to avoid the wrath of God. And that we are to walk in faithful obedience to him. So many churches have walked away from that that they could not even properly be considered churches anymore. At least not in the gospel sense. Brothers and sisters, when you, um, when you travel and you are... You're on vacation, or you travel somewhere else for work and you're looking for a church to visit on Sunday, and I hope that you will do that. I exhort all of you to do that wherever you are on a Sunday to find a church to go and worship God there together with that community of people. When you're looking online and you're searching and you're checking out their websites, the single most important thing on their website is the statement of faith. Not how slick their website is, Not if it's got moving graphics and stuff like that and really cool fonts and a hipster look to it. It doesn't matter if it's an ugly, ugly website. None of that matters. The most important thing is the statement of faith on that website. And do they, are they a church that holds to the gospel, to the foundation of Jesus Christ and the word of God being um, what we are, our rule, for life and faith. That is the single most important thing on the website. One day, if you leave Renewal Church in 30 or 40 years from now or whenever that may be and you are looking for another church or you move somewhere, the single most important thing to check is their statement of faith. If you go to their website and there is no statement of faith, that is sus. Very sus. If you still like the church, email them say, can you send me your statement of faith, if they will not send it to you. That is very sus. Find out what the church believes. Is it built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ? Now, in verse 12, Paul says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. So you could build on this foundation with really good quality materials. That's the gold, silver, precious stones. Or you can build with cheap materials like wood, hay, straw. No offense, bow. Like this is wood is good. Wood is good. Yeah, carpenter's in here. Um, but what Paul's talking about here is you could build with good materials or you could build with cheap materials. That's what he is talking about here. Now, so the, if the foundation, follow along here, if the foundation is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected, what Paul is saying is here, When we build on that foundation, we need to build in a way that is consistent with the foundation. When you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you need to build in a way that is consistent with the foundation. What do I mean by that? Friends, there are many ways that we can build Renewal Church. And there are are a lot of things that you can build on besides Christ. We can build this church on many things aside from Jesus Christ. It is very, very possible to do that. We need to understand that. Let me give you a few examples. We can build this church on friendship. Now, there is nothing wrong with friendship. I love friendship. I like friends. I want more friends. I am all about friendship. Friendship is very, very good. What I mean is, though, if, if for you, church is primarily a social thing, if, if that's what it is, if it's a place to come to meet your social needs, to find some people to, to hang out with, uh, to, to go out to eat with, to vacation with, to go hiking with, to play sports with, to, to watch shows and, and talk about the newest restaurants with. If that's your primary goal in friendship, um, that's no different from what non Christians do. How is that any different? And in fact, the problem is that is very, very shallow. That is shallow. If that's what you're looking for in friendship, if that's what church is about to you, it is very shallow indeed. But building friendships upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, that looks like this. That looks like asking the question, how can I help my friend to become more like Jesus? Because that is the very best thing that you can do as a friend to be concerned, to see your friend live out their potential in Jesus Christ, to become everything that God has called him or her to be. That's being a good friend. It means having relationships of openness and vulnerability, where where we stop hiding behind the masks of who we are Where we're not held captive by shame because we know that we have been forgiven in Jesus and that our identity is as a child of God, and that enables us to even be able to confess our sins to each other, enabling us to walk in freedom, in greater freedom, and not in slavery to our sin. Worldly friendships oftentimes are just based upon doing things for social need, but not opening up, not dropping the veneer of who we really are inside. Friendships built upon Christ are, are, are accepting of each other because Christ has accepted us and frees us to enter into a deeper place of healing, confession, and openness. It's not about ultimately meeting your social needs, but about, but about serving others in their needs. As Paul said, let each of you look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. Christian friendships built upon the foundation of Christ. Friends read and study scripture together. They pray together. You talk about how to share your faith with others together. That's friendship built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. My question for you is what are you looking for in terms of friendship? I know many of you are probably here because you're looking for friends. That's great. That's great. I hope you find many friends in church. But when friendships are built upon Christ, they go so much deeper, so much deeper. We can build our church upon social justice, the, um, the desire to, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to build housing for people, to help people find jobs and get job training, to dig wells for people who don't have access to clean water. And and those things are good. Friends, those things are good. It is good to do good. Christians should do tremendous good in this world. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that the greatest good that we can do for somebody is to bring them into relationship with Jesus Christ, to restore their relationship with Jesus. When John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect somebody else? Jesus said, go back and tell John this. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus healed. Jesus even brought the dead back to life. He met them in their physical needs, but he did not neglect. Make sure John knows the good news is proclaimed to the poor, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people brought Jesus, a paralytic, on a a pallet and lowered him from the roof of the house, Jesus said to that paralyzed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus healed the lame person, lame man by the pool, He also told him, stop sinning. Somebody said this about these two events. He said the problem Jesus most wanted to solve was not immobility, but iniquity. And I would agree with that. Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 20,000 people in all. They were hungry. He fed them. He met their physical needs. But then he told them that the food that they really needed was himself the bread of life. And with the bread of life, they would never go hungry. Friends, it's good to dig wells in places where they don't have access to clean water. But the Samaritan woman who had access to a well also needed to know about her sin and that there's a God who is inviting her to worship him in spirit and in truth. Friends, the greatest injustice in this world is not hunger or housing or water. The greatest injustice in this world is that we have sinned against a just God. That is the greatest injustice in this world. And as we bring bread and dig wells and give clothing, we cannot neglect to tell people about the God who loves them, who provided a means unto salvation. Even social justice needs to be upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. You know the YMCA started in England? Did you know that? I had no idea. I thought like YMCA. I was like, that's as American as it gets. It started in England. Blew my mind. In 1844, as a place for young men to meet for Bible study and prayer, It was called the Young Men's Christian Association. That's the goal of it. They met for Bible study and prayer, and they also had practical programs meeting practical needs. They also did that. They believed in that. But they believed in Bible study and prayer and focusing their lives upon Christ. Now, many, many years later, and especially with the movement of the social gospel in the late 1800s and the early 1900s where the church began to focus on physical needs but more and more began to neglect the message of Jesus Christ, the YMCA along with them moved further and further and further away from the gospel. Now the YMCA is bigger than ever, bigger than back from its humble roots in England, but if I go into my local YMCA near where I live, there is not a message, a hint of Jesus Christ in that place. They have programs, they have classes, they're doing things for the community, but Jesus is nowhere to be found. In fact, now it's just called the Y. I guess they could not stand for that C. Still being there. Let's get rid of it entirely. Now it's called the Y. Brothers and sisters, we can can build the church upon serving. We need people to serve to build up the church of God. But we can serve not on the foundation of Jesus Christ, but we can serve for all the wrong reasons as well. We can serve out of a sense of legalism, like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, which only leads to bitterness and burnout, and not really building up the church of God or building yourself up either. We can build the church upon the the, the marketing and management techniques Uh, especially espoused by the church growth movement of the 1980s and the 1990s, when it was about bigger, better, faster, grow the church as quick as we can, as big as we can. And not all of those management principles or things like that are bad. No, we want the church to be organized. But in terms of a foundation, that's the foundation of a company, not the foundation of... Of the Church of Jesus Christ. Friends, we are building the Church of God and we want to build for the long haul here. That is our goal here at Renewal Church. We want to build with gold, silver, and precious stones upon the only foundation of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and everything that he has commanded us in his word. It is slow. It is incremental, it's not sexy, it's not glitzy, but it's rock solid. It's rock solid. Jesus said in Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall what we've built with will be revealed because in that day it will be revealed by fire and just as fire can't destroy gold, silver, costly stones but it can burn up wood it can burn up hay and straw everyone's work will be revealed for what it is everything we've done for God what we've done in this church, what we build here, it's not about what it looks like today. It's not even about what it looks like in 10 years or 100 years from now, brothers and sisters. Ultimately, it's about what we bring before the Lord Jesus at the final day of judgment. And everything that we do will be revealed for truly what it is. And, you know, there will be, unfortunately in that day, many churches and ministries pastors and evangelists, maybe some famous ones, some with huge ministries, huge churches, the best websites, the glitziest looking ministries. And they're actually going to stand there with nothing. It will be burned away. And as Paul says, they, their work will be burned up and he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The picture there is of somebody who. Their work was all burned up, but, but he really believed in Jesus, so he he still just made it like, whoo, through the fire. It singed him, you know? He made it through, but everything he had was gone. And he stood before Jesus with nothing at the end. And there would be no reward in heaven because his work was done with shoddy material. What matters is when we stand before God. You know, like, we've, I think we've all done in in, you remember in elementary school or uh, where you had to have that science experiment where your teacher gives you an egg and tells you to construct something to protect it and that, you know, eventually he was going to drop it and see how your egg does. Do you remember that? Right. And then, you know, you could have some, one team there makes the fanciest contraption around the egg and like you know, the, the, it, it's got, like, moving mechanical parts in it. It looks like it was built by NASA. The thing can float there in the sky. It's, like, crazy, crazy. You're like, oh, my gosh, that looks amazing. And then you got another guy who's got, like, packing, you know, peanuts and duct tape. And that's all, all he's working with there, right? And it, one looks amazing, one looks ugly. But you know what? None of that matters, does it, right? At the end of the day, all that matters is that day when your teacher goes to the roof of the school with your, with your contraption and he chucks it off the roof and then we'll see what your work amounted to if it resulted in anything. That's what Paul is saying here. This is why we want to be a church built upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ, of his word. We want to build well, with quality materials, pursuing the Word of God as the center of all we do. We need to avoid this instant gratification mindset, and we need to work for eternity, brothers and sisters. It's, you know, when we do things this way, it's, it's harder. Friendships built upon Jesus are harder. They're harder. It's much easier to just talk about surface things and Just hang out with people that you get along with. And if you kind of don't get that along, you just find some other people that have similar interests in you and like to have the same hobbies and you get along. That's easier to do. It's much harder to actually carry each other's burdens, to be vulnerable, to be sacrificial for each other, to stick with each other and really love each other, to speak the truth in love. That's much harder to do. But that builds The kingdom of God. That builds the church of God. Even in our evangelism, it's much easier just to say, you know, God is this warm, fuzzy grandpa, and he just wants to give you a big hug. And and that's all. He just wants to pour out his love upon you. It's much easier to say that than to also present the full gospel and say, this Jesus who died for you, when you believe him, your life belongs to him. You are no longer your own. It will take time. You're not going to become perfect overnight. None of us will become perfect in this lifetime. It'll be a process. But are you willing to count the cost and understand that Jesus is your Lord to present the full gospel to people and not just try to pad our baptism numbers or, or things like that? It means that realizing that your, your character and who you are is more important than your calling and what you do and focusing on who you are becoming in Christ and building your character upon who Jesus is. It takes time, but unity its not just about being together in one place. Even though we're all here on Sunday, it's about building it upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. My subtitle for these two verses is Division is Deadly. We had Division is Dumb. I had no title for the other part just before. And now Division is Deadly. Division is Deadly. You know, if we think about it, when you read the Old Testament, God was not happy with people who desecrated his temple, who profaned his temple. God would bring his judgment upon those people, kings, nations, false priests, whoever they were. God was very concerned about his temple because his temple represented his presence. It represented who he was. So when people destroyed the temple of God, that was um, a bad thing. And God was not, he did not take that lightly. How much more, brothers and sisters, now in the light of Christ, in the New Testament, now that we understand that the temple is ultimately not a building made of stones and wood, but that temple of the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of the church. We are the temple of God that the Holy Spirit Inhabits. Now, we are the real thing that the Old Testament temple pointed towards. How much more upset do you think God would be when somebody destroys the temple of God? When somebody destroys the church? Uh, God says he will destroy him. Not my words. Those are the words of the Bible. We are God's temple. We are God's temple. Now, I think that that is a very strong warning to anybody who would seek to destroy the church, whether from outside or from within. Now, this doesn't mean that you are never going to have conflict in the church. It happens. I have conflict in the church. We've all had conflict. If you're around in the church long enough, you will have conflict in the church. It's going to happen. That's okay. We seek to reconcile, to forgive, to work on those things. That's that's a part of Christian life, learning how to love each other. But I think the application from these verses is, is that if you are a consistently divisive person, I'm talking to the church here. If you are a consistently divisive person, if you have an ongoing issue with gossip, or slandering others, talking behind their back, or if you have an unforgiving spirit that leads to people taking sides and creating divisions and factions, then this is a very, very sober warning. And I do not want to overlook this, brothers and sisters. If that's you, what the Bible is saying is that you may find that at the day of judgment that your faith wasn't actually what you thought it was. And rather than entering into eternal life, you find that what awaits is eternal destruction. Brothers and sisters, God loves the church. Jesus died for the church. Woe to anyone who divides and destroys God's church. I think that that is such a sober warning to us to to treat us precious. The church, to fight for its unity, to seek reconciliation and forgiveness and love because God loves his church. Lastly, here, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So that no one boasts in men. For all things are yours. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future... All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Paul brings it back around full circle again to their, um, the source of their division in the beginning. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. In other words, people are saying, I'm in the Paul camp. I belong to Paul. I'm in the Apollos camp. I follow him. I belong to apollos. Paul is saying, man, that is such narrow thinking. That is such small thinking. Because actually apollo, apollos and paul and cephas they're yours. They're yours. Because they belong to the church and you are a part of the church. They are a part of you. They're one with you. They belong to you. And you know what? Not just Apollos, Paul, or Cephas, but the world belongs to you. Our Heavenly Father, this world belongs to Him. And we are His children. And we will inherit this world in the new heavens and the new earth. The world is ours. I can walk around and be like, Man, that, those trees are mine. <laughs> that grass is mine. That, that pond over there, that's mine. I don't know if it's going to look like that in new heavens and new earth, but it's all mine because we will inherit this world that God is making new. He said, the, he said life or death are also yours. Life because, man, to me, when I live, to live is Christ. I live because of Jesus And my life can be lived for his purposes. And life has the fullness of joy when I live it for Jesus. And even death, I ain't afraid of death. Because Paul said to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I die, I end up in the presence of God. I have no fear. Death is a blip where I will enter into the presence of God. He says, the present or the future are yours as well. Right now, in this moment, I can live for God with this life. And I know that in the future, I will be with God for all eternity. Everything is mine. Everything is yours, brothers and sisters. And we also belong to Christ, and Christ is God's. We are one. We are one in Christ, brothers and sisters. Paul's saying, stop thinking so small. Stop thinking so small. I have a terrible analogy. I couldn't think of a better one. But imagine, imagine that, you know, you and a few other people are all given a piece of a key. And you're there, and you're starving, and you need food. And if you take the pieces of your key and you put them together and you open up this door, there is food beyond measure behind that door. But instead of coming together and putting your keys together to make one key to open up that door, you say, no, this key is mine. This key is mine. How dare you? Oh, You, you just want my key for yourself. That's what you want. No, no, no. My key, my key is better than your key. My gosh, my key, my fragment, this is the best one. I'm better than all of you. How dare I you just want to steal my key from me? I can't trust you, and you divide over that. How silly would that be? If you bring your keys together and you make one key, you can open the door and have access to all the food that you need. See brothers and sisters, I, that's that's like us when we divide. When we divide, And we think it's better for me that I just, you know, keep my distance from that person and just not forgive. It's better for me to just have this anger and resentment in my heart. It's better. I like it this way. We can keep on doing church. It's not better for you. In fact, and this is where it takes faith, when you choose to do the hard work of reconciliation and fighting for unity, God wants you to see that you gain so much more. All are yours. Everything, including that person that you hate or that you're struggling with, is for you. And as we preserve the unity of the church, we will see God building it up for his glory.